You're going to want this. Please don't ask me that because it took me four years to get over that trauma and I blame Zach for that. So, no, please let's not talk about that. Well, awesome. I'm really glad to be here this morning. I'm super excited. It's like Zach said, uh, Pastor Zach said, it's ex always exciting to be able to come back to somewhere where you started. So, I'm just going to actually jump right in um, because I'm going to assume most of you don't know me, at least maybe you know my name, you've seen me around. I live in McPherson, kind of got stuck here, so I haven't gone too far. I try to be here on campus as much as possible. Um, but I want you guys to be honest with yourselves this morning. And raise your, hand, raise your hand if you want to, but you don't have to. But maybe thinking first thing when you walked in, you saw me. Or now that you've seen me walk up, you had a few assumptions Here's someone else who thinks they know everything. Here's someone else who has it all together and I can't relate to. And there's absolutely no way that this is going to be interesting. I remember being a college student and I thought this same thing. Here's someone else who gets to be up on the stage, gets to talk about how great God is, and doesn't know anything about struggle in life. I'm going to break that right now. I'm going to share quite a bit of my story, but for right now I'm going to tell you these are the things you're going to be watching for, the things that I struggled with growing up. And to the, some extent, I still struggle with depression and anxiety, but that started in high school. I struggled with pornography. I struggled with um, suicide and with self-harm. And until I got married, I also then struggled with um, physical intimacy before marriage. So maybe you don't know me. Maybe I am a little different than maybe you thought. I w I'm not far from you guys. I only graduated two years ago. I got married a year ago. I'm not far from remembering some of the things that have happened in life that are hard, hard to get through, hard to understand why they happen. So I want to talk about you now for a second, or try. Maybe, I, I don't know, you're maybe in a sport, you're in a club, you're in something that you identify with. You're known as a basketball player, soccer player. I was going to say football player. I forgot Central doesn't have a football team. But you're confident, right? And maybe some of you think that, like, you're, you're like a really good athlete. You're a really good fill-in-the-blank. Maybe you think you're the best at whatever it is, right? You're really confident in that, and that's good. But so what? Why does that make you extra special to be good at your sport, to be the best at whatever it is. What, what does this title guarantee you in your future? Better yet, what struggles do you maybe have? What things are going through in your life right now, and how are they going to determine your future? How does it make you a better person? You have struggles, you have hurt, but they aren't your experience. Is, nor are they, are they so impossible to get past. 
I know you might have a best friend here, someone that you're wanting to impress. Maybe they're not even your friend. You just try to impress them. And you feel this pressure of having, well, to meet up to their expectations. You're maybe known for knowing it all, having it all together. Sorry to burst the bubble, but <laughs> once you pass college, that kind of doesn't mean anything anymore. And that's going to be a little bit more difficult once you start getting jobs and interacting with people that are not in college anymore. I've given myself a lot of these titles for a good chunk of my, my life. Like I said, I struggled with pornography, so then I identified myself as that's who I was and that's what I did and that's all I could be. I, I, I struggled with depression, and like I said, I still do. It's not something that's one and done, but I used to say that's who I was. I was my depression, not someone who struggled with depression or someone who struggled with anxiety. No, I was the depression. I was the anxiety. I've told myself on those, those people. I told myself that was my identity. And I've told myself that my ability and excess as a a success as a leader was determined by those things. Was determined by all the things that in my life were negative and hard and painful and were no longer like could could not be changed and was what I was going to be forever. There was no hope for me. There was no possibility for change, but the thing is there's there's nothing new under the sun. I don't know your story, just like you don't know mine. You'll get to know me a little bit more. But I can probably guess that most of you have struggled with something, if not with what I've listed, something in your life that has held you down that you identify as instead of struggling with. And, and it's, it's funny because I, I actually grew up as a pastor's kid. Do we have any pastor's kids in the room? Is that, yeah, okay, we have a couple. Cool, cool. So you might, you might be able to relate in the sense that sometimes we, as the pastor's kids, get caught up in this idea that whether it's on our own thoughts or the people around us, that we have to meet a certain expectation. That we had to be this perfect child, we had to know the Bible really well, we had to have it all together. Yeah, that, as you can hear, that wasn't my story. All these things distracted me, actually, from the thing that God was calling me to do. It, it was making me think I had to do or be someone that honestly didn't even exist. So I, I became depressed early on in high school. And it was, it was something that I thought I'd have to kind of deal with on my own. At the time, it just it wasn't a big thing that you heard about. And if you did, you still, you kind of held it behind closed doors. So I, I trugged along and I thought that I had to get through this, whatever it was, on my own. I was struggling with the fact that my mom had been absent because of her own mental health for a few years. I was struggling because, again, uh, my dad as a pastor was just gone a lot. He was traveling. He had a lot to do. And I felt like I was losing time with him. And then I got caught up in, in these lies that 
I was alone and that there was nothing for me. And so then that's when I fell into my addiction with pornography. Because it was the one thing that I felt safe with. It was the one thing that I knew would be there for me. The one thing I knew that wouldn't change. And so I struggled with that for years. And then I discovered the idea of self-harm. And I thought, well, maybe this is another way out. This is another way to hide the pain and to pretend like nothing in my life is ever going to change. It's just, it's going to be what it is. So I thought about ending my life. I thought about it a lot. And if I scoop back just a little bit, well, (laughs) high school, I'm going to go back to when I was born. I was born as a premature baby. At two years old, I was already back in the hospital because I had stomach issues, which to this day I still struggle with and it's kind of annoying. But yay, preemie babies. And then I was diagnosed with this really random... Uh, what was I going to call it, like teeth problem. I had what they were calling tumors in my jaws because extra teeth were growing. So like that sounds super weird, but at the same time kind of cool. I had the superpower of growing extra teeth. But then I had to have surgeries and I was in middle school and I was like, this is not cool to be in the hospital all the time. And so then I got mad. I got frustrated and I was starting to talk to God like, you know, why is this happening to me? Why do I keep ending in the hospital? Why do, I keep, why do I have all these doctors? Why do I have all of this and all of that? And I started listening all these things to God. And, and then I think I decided I was 11 years old. My brother was nine. And he had his first seizure after a church service. And right away, right away, guys, I was like, oh, crap. This is my fault. My brother is sick, and it's because I'm complaining, and I'm, I'm saying all these things, and I want someone else to, to have pain, and now my brother is in pain. So I had to fight then with this idea that not only am I alone, but now I'm at fault. I felt at fault for the things that were then happening around me, and I'll tell you this good news so I don't just leave it there in the middle. My brother's okay. He did have a tumor. And it was just in the right spot where if they had moved anything different when they went in, he could have lost all his speech. Again, he's only nine years old. I'm only 11. We have a younger sister. Life is getting crazy. But he comes out of that very, very long surgery. And he's kicking and he's screaming at the nurses and making the doctors smile because they know he can talk. He's going to be okay. But then I had to battle this idea in my head that this was my fault, right? But no, I'm going to tell you now, just in case you have any of these situations in your life where you think you're to blame for something, something that literally just happens. It's unfortunate. Sometimes it's in the genes, and sometimes it's just a fluke in our body. These things happen. I didn't cause my brother to have a tumor in his head. Sometimes I think, oh, maybe that's when I hit him in the head with a bat on accident. But, you know, I'll get over that one, too. It's not my fault. It's not my fault. I'm not to blame. And God wasn't punishing me for anything, any of my complaining. 
because he welcomed my complaining. He welcomed my frustrations and the fact that I was kind of mad at him for all the things that were going on in my life. And so then I, I started to calm down a little bit, right? But then I'm getting into high school. The depression is hitting a little bit harder. And I find out now, oh, now I have tumors in my legs. I still do, actually. You'll never tell. It's nothing anyone can see. It's just pain that I have to physically deal with. But as a freshman in high school, this is not the thing you want to hear. I've never been able to play sports. I've never, I chose not to interact too, with too many things that took a lot of, a lot out of me physically because I was always scared. I was literally told if, well, if you're in a car accident and your leg is broken, it's not going to break, it's actually going to shatter. So you're just probably not even going to have a functioning leg anymore. So then it became my fear and it became my identity. It became the thing that I, I was I was living out of. I was living out of that fear and the fact that that's who I was now. So now that you have a little bit more context, you can understand why I was starting to feel alone in high school. I couldn't be the best athlete. I couldn't be involved in, in the sports that I kind of grew up maybe interested in. I'm not, I'm not the best at sports anyway, so it's probably a blessing, right? I got into music, and that's been... That's been amazing. I'm not the best at that either, but I got caught up in the fact that I can't do all these things that everyone else around me is doing. This is not fair. It's a fun word, isn't it? Fair. <laughs> Life isn't really fair, is it? I couldn't be who I thought I was supposed to be. And I was choosing to ignore the things God was actually putting right in front of me. And so again... Or back to depressed, anxious, porn-addicted Priscilla. All these things that I was so caught up in and so... Uh, I, I, that I felt that that was who I was. That there was no way out of that. That that's who I was going to be from this point on. So I tried counseling. If any of you ever have done that, you probably know there's also a way to get out of it. <laughs> you know that there's maybe a way you can say something just the right way and the counselor stops sacking. Or you can walk out and you're good. I'm not going to say that's the best idea. Again, I was younger and I love counseling and I think everyone needs it at one point in their life. But you get caught up in faking it. And I, that's what I did. I just let people see what I knew they wanted to see the product of me that they wanted so that I could keep on doing the things that I wanted to do. So I told you I had an absent mother, my dad was in ministry, and I was even heavily involved in that. That's where I got started in my, my music, my love for music, and, and getting to go visit people who were sick in the hospital. And like, this is all great stuff, but in the back I was still not, not really who I was supposed to be. So I didn't blame God for all of this, but I was still upset. I was still confused. I was still frustrated. So again, freshman year, um, 
I also had a quinceanera when I turned 15. Really fun event. And, <laughs> and I got, at that time, a purity ring from my parents, and they presented it in this service that I had, in this celebration. And that's, that's then where, when I started my pornography addiction, I was almost fooling myself because I thought, well, I haven't had sex, so I'm still pure. My idea of purity or my idea of being clean was on me physically and had nothing to do with my thoughts. But scripture tells us that it's in our very thoughts that start things. And so then I had to struggle again with this idea like, okay, now I have something else in my life that I can't really like just get rid of. I'm now addicted to pornography and I'm unclean, but I'm wearing this ring that says I'm trying to be pure. So I felt like then I was living a double life. Because it's not like I was going around and telling people that. Like, telling you now, it's come a long way to be able to share weaknesses in my life. Places in my life that I'm not proud of. Places in my life that most people don't need to know. So I struggled then again with this identity that I was a porn addict. I was unclean. I was unpure. This is who I am. So now we'll get to college. So this was only four years ago, which is still actually a long time ago. I got, I got even more depressed. And I had more opportunity to isolate myself because I didn't know people. So then I did a lot more self-harm and I did a lot more thinking about dying. And I don't know if this subject maybe makes people uncomfortable and that's not my point, but I do want you to know that it's a real thing. And it's a thing that can be hidden very well because I did it. I did it for about three, about three years here in college. No, maybe two years, not three. Without most people knowing. And, it was, and the ones that did know was only because I allowed them in. How many people around us on a regular basis are hiding the same exact thing? But it's because they identify themselves with it. I identified myself in my depression and in my hurting myself. And that's who I was. But I was ashamed of it, so I wasn't going to let anyone see that me. I was going to put up a show for everyone else. So I had, I had to then struggle with not being the perfect student. I had set these expectations to be this perfect student, this perfect person, make my parents proud, make all the professors happy with me, they can't know anything is going wrong, and even if I'm failing the class, oh, well, I'm not going to talk to them about it because, oh, they're not going to understand, and this is my own issue. This is just who I am. So then my identity was caught in that as well, being a good student. Whatever that means, I don't know. I still haven't figured it out. How many of you have gotten caught up with the idea that you have to be the perfect athlete. That you have to be 
the perfect person, the perfect boyfriend, the perfect girlfriend. How many of you have thought about the idea that you have to be the perfect person who shows up to things and does whatever the other person tells you because you don't want to disappoint them? You have to be the one who shows up and makes everyone laugh, even if it's not actually a joke and it's not funny. How many of you have had to then identify yourselves as someone you are not, simply to keep up with the people around you who think they know you? How many of you get caught up in the fact that you have to be a disrespectful person or that you have to feel hopeless all the time or that you have to be alone? How many of you feel like you just have to exist here in this place just for the sake of other people, not for the sake of yourself? You're here because your parents sent you to college and this is exactly where they wanted you to be, so you just have to put up with it. Your parents are paying for college or you got a really great scholarship. You're just here. You're just trying to make it through. I'm not saying that's bad. Sometimes we have to do that. Sometimes we have to fake it till we make it. But are we then sacrificing who we are as individuals? Where are we going in our identity? So God actually also then introduced me to my husband while I was here at Central. And that's where then I tell I had to tell you in the midst of all of that and still being and still having trouble knowing who I was as a person, the relationship didn't fix anything. I mean, it went okay, we got married, but we struggled because I had this idea I had to then be a perfect girlfriend. I had to be this perfect person for him. And then that led to the, the physical intimacy that I thought I told myself I wasn't going to do, but it was just easy, so why not? And I know some of you are going to be thinking, well, what does that matter? Like, you, Some of you may not think that there's a problem with physical intimacy outside of marriage. And that's a different story, right? That's we're, we're talking two different things. I'm specifically saying I had chosen, I had said I knew this was wrong, and I still did it anyway. We did it anyway. And so then I labeled myself again. I'm this person who falls into sin and temptation, and I'm now like sex. Like that's what my identity was, sex. When that's not what it was at all, it was something I was struggling with. The thing is, once we got married, sex is supposed to be normalized. It's no longer out of the context, so it's supposed to be okay. But the fact that I knew I didn't want to do it, and I did it, and I knew it was out of line, and I still did it, then actually hurt at the beginning of our marriage when we're trying to figure out who we actually are. You may not think that it affects anything, but being on the other side of marriage, I can tell you that it does. And it was hard because I identified myself with that. Then in marriage, I just, 
I then had to look for something else to identify with because the sex was no longer bad. So then, okay, now I'm going to identify as a wife and I have to be a really good wife. <laughs> and I've only been married a year, so I'm not saying I have that down either. There's a lot to learn still. But I had to very quickly tell myself that is still not my identity. It's not based off of my relationship with my husband or what I do for him or what I don't do for him. But it's my relationship with Christ. The relationship that, as you can see in my long 22 years, 20, well, I'm 25, but first five years don't count, right? So the first 20 years, the last 20 years have not been great. They have not been easy, and I could tell you in more detail so many other things that I, I struggled with. But I didn't want to come up here and tell you all these pretend things that people can potentially struggle with. I'm telling you this is what I struggled with, and I know that you have your own things too. The reality is you're not alone. The reality is, yes, there's all these things that we talk about that are up here and they seem fake and they don't seem like they're a real thing. But the thing is, you just need to find the one thing that you do relate to and then you don't feel alone anymore. So I'm sharing a lot about myself, right? You know me probably more than you thought you would when you walked in. A lot of things that maybe you don't even care to know and you're just going to walk out and forget it all. And that's okay. Because honestly, if you remembered every single detail about my life, I'd be a little weirded out. But I want you to hear that I... First, I want you to hear that I see you. First, I want you to hear that I know that... I know that you struggle with something. And at some point, you've struggled with identifying with what you do or who you talk to or what you say. You identify with your sport or your class or your GPA. You identify with something. But I want you to know that's not who you are. Those are things in your life, but they don't make up who you get to be for the rest of your life. Because when you graduate from college, <laughs> your GPA honestly isn't full. I mean, maybe you're going to go get your master's, your doctorate. You're going to be a super smart person. So yes, maybe your GPA is going to matter. But it's not going to define the success that you have in your life. Your GPA is not going to do that. The relationships that you have here the people that you get to know really well and you think you have to impress, they're not going to be in your life most likely in about five, five years. I've, on, I've only been away from college for two years and there's only a handful of people that I still know and talk to. Because I struggled with that. I, I had people in college that I wanted to be just like. And then we weren't in the same room anymore, and it's like it didn't matter because it didn't. You're only comparing and identifying with these things because they're in your life right now, but they don't last. 
want you to hear that it doesn't have to be that way. You have a Father who loves you and a God who created you to be just like Him, actually. You are wanted. You are loved. You are seen. I was just reminded because, like I said, I can't ever get out of college. I'm still taking classes here just for fun. And I was reminded of the story of of Hagar and, and the name that she called out to God. Elroy. Elroy is the God who sees. He sees you. And it might be scary to, to, to the fact that he sees you in a way that nobody else can because that means you can't have a wall that hides things. But let me tell you, that's a good thing. It's a good thing that God can see that. Because even if he see, even as he sees it, he still loves you the same. Because he has no expectation for you. He has nothing different that he wants you to be. He says, I see you. I love you. I want you. Just as you are. And maybe that's a decision you haven't made before. Maybe that's something you haven't considered. Or you have and you've been on the fence. Maybe... Maybe you thought you just, it just doesn't make a difference to have a relationship with Jesus. You're completely satisfied with the way that your life is right now. But again, when you leave this campus in two, three, four, whatever class you are, this isn't going to go with you. Jesus is the only one who stays the same now in your life to 10 and 15 years from now when you're still trying to figure things out. He's the one that's still there, not the person sitting next to you right now. He's the one who's with you in, in six years from now when you're, you're trying to figure out your new job, not the person you were trying to impress here. Your identity is also not in central. You're not defined by what you do. You're not defined by what you're good at. Because all those things change. You're defined by your creator who loves you so much that he chose to send his own son, his own son to sacrifice so that he could see you, so that he could have a relationship with you. Who or what you choose to be identified by is who or what you choose to reflect. Who or what you choose to be identified by is who or what you choose to reflect. If you're trying to be like your best friend, you're reflecting your best friend. Reflecting, not being who you are actually are. When, when we decide to identify and to reflect Jesus, it's, it's so much more natural because it's who we are. So maybe today you will 
feel that freedom to choose Jesus. Maybe you've never been told that you're not just an athlete. Maybe you've never been told you're not just a student. Maybe you've never been told you're, you're not just you. You have a Savior and a Father who loves you and wants that to be your identity. That's what he designed you for. That's what he, he designed it to be. But we get caught up in this idea that that's, that's not who we are because it's too hard to be perfect. Well, let me tell you, because I have already been telling you the last 20 minutes, not who I am. I'm not perfect. I don't have it all together, and I have a lot of crap in my past. And I'm not saying that today I stand here, again, completely free from my depression and my anxiety. No, that's real. I still have it, but I have someone to take it to. No, I, I don't struggle with pornography anymore, and that is something I am so thankful for. But there's just things in life that will linger longer than others. But let me tell you, when I decided to involve other people, that's, that's when things started to change. Because God, God's not alone. He's, he made us for relationship. He made us to have people in our life. And so without these people, there's things that I just wouldn't see. So here I am. Being that outside person, telling you what I see in you. I don't know a single one of you, well, I know some of you, sorry. Some of you are really great friends. I appreciate all of you. But I don't know all of you so intimately well that I know exactly what you struggle with. But I do know that you don't have to identify as those things anymore. I do know that you are loved. I do know that you are forgiven. I do know that there is more than just where you are right now.